Bird's not walking through that door. We're talking about practice. Not a game, not a game, not a game. We're talking about practice. It's my team. It's my quarterback. Okay. It is... To be the man, you gotta beat the man. The two one. Swan Lane drive left field. One run is in. Here comes Green. Here's the run of the play. He is safe. Green run. This is the Powers on Sports Podcast. All right, welcome back to the Powers on Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Jason, down in Tampa. Hopefully you had a good week. We are hitting the midpoint of October, halfway through the college football season, week seven, week six of the National Football League. We got the NHL season starting this week. The NBA starts in about another week or so. So a lot of stuff in the sports calendar. We've got the Major League Baseball playoffs in full swing. We are now in the divisional round series. So we're going to talk to, uh, we've got a couple really good guests for you. We're going to talk to Chris Perez. Two-time MLB All-Star closer with Cleveland Indians. Uh, we're going to break down the, the the wild card in the divisional round series. We're also going to talk to Vince Ferrara from 99.1 in Knoxville, Tennessee, for the huge SEC showdown this weekend, Alabama and Tennessee. Vince is uh, going to give us all the insight and all the all the information you need to know going into that game this week. It's a good college football slate. We've got several good college football games. We've got TCU, Oklahoma State. Bama, Tennessee, Michigan, Penn State, Florida, LSU. So we got a pretty good uh, docket of games. We've got USC and Utah out on the West Coast. So we've got a lot of uh, games that could impl- have implications in the college football playoff and who's going to win these big Power Five conferences. So great. Uh, again, we're going to have a good chat with Vince, breaking down all things Tennessee. And Tennessee's a live, a live team this week, by the way. So we don't know what the – Status of Bryce Young is going to be, so we're going to talk about the different scenarios surrounding that with Vince as well. So uh, we're all, like, like I said, we're also uh, going. To, we also again, we're going to we're getting into it deep with Chris Perez as well, doing all things baseball. Before we get to Chris and Vince, I want to give you some uh, couple topics of the week that have come up that I want to address and give you my thoughts. I'm also going to give you a couple of uh, fantasy uh, fantasy things to think about. And following uh, our interviews, I'm going to give you a couple of gambling picks for the weekend as well. So, first of all, roughing the passer calls in the NFL. There's, this was a bad week for the officiating for, for roughing the passer from a public perception optics perspective. You had the call in the time, in the Bucks game with Tom Brady, and then you had the subsequent night you had the Monday night call involving David Derek Carr and Chris Jones in Kansas City. Both of them were uh, really really tough calls. You know the one on Sunday involving Brady was egregiously bad. I mean I don't like to bang on the officials. You know you you guys know I referee high school football down here. Uh, I'm pro officials 95 percent of the time. But this was just a really, really poor call by Jerome Boger and that crew. And it's Jerome Boger. He's got the he he's responsible for the quarterback. So there's no what it's not the crew. It's Jerome Boger who made the call. It's his call to make. He he as the head referee, he he's he's involved. He is responsible for protecting the quarterback. 
That's his primary responsibility. So this one falls on Jerome Boger. Very poor call. You know, unfortunately for the Falcons, with about three minutes left in the game, the Falcons are down six and it was third down. They would have gotten the ball back with an opportunity potentially to win the game. Didn't get that opportunity. The Bucks then get another first down and run the clock out. So, But as far as the call itself, just a poor, poor call. I don't know. The NFL, I get what they're trying to do to protect everybody, but you cannot legislate that as a roughing the passer call in any circumstance. He, the guy did, Grady Jarrett did nothing wrong, did, did, did everything he was asked to do. As far as the uh, Chris Jones, Derek Carr call on Monday night, same kind of scenario. Jones strips strips Carr of the ball from behind and takes him to the ground, doesn't power bomb him, doesn't do a belly flop on him, just falls to the ground with him. The ball was loose when he's taking him down. He strips the ball. Um, he recovered the ball, so... Doubly worse is that they get a penalty called and that they and it negates a turnover uh, for the Chiefs. The Chiefs come back to win the game 30 to 29. And we're going, we're going to talk about the going for two scenario here in just a second, but just two poor calls. Hopefully, the NFL uh, instructs their officials some more common sense stuff because they just have gone too far to the to, to the right of protecting these quarterbacks. Uh, again, nobody's we're all for protecting the quarterback's knees. Headshots, things like that. But when the guy just simply takes him to the ground, um, there's going to be injuries. Occasionally, guys get hurt when they get tackled. I hate to say it, they do. Some people are more fragile than others physically. And when sometimes these quarterbacks, they get taken down, there's going to be an injury occasionally, an arm injury, a shoulder injury. And it's not because anything that the defensive players are doing maliciously most of the time. Sometimes it is. But most of the time, if a guy gets tackled and he outweighs you by 75 pounds. There's going to be sometimes, you know, people are going to get hurt. Happens in all walks of life. Any kind of physical contact sport, guys can get hurt. So um, I definitely want to see uh, that uh, the, the roughing the passer get kind of brought back more towards the middle again because it's, it, it takes a little bit of the fun out of the game. And again, I'm, I'm pro referee here, but, but just that was not a good week for the NFL when it comes to roughing the passer calls. All right, Devontae Adams. If you saw the, at the end of the game on Monday night, the Raiders lose by one. Adams has a uh, you know big a good game, two touchdowns, but he has a critical bobble which turns into a no catch on the last drive, which prevents the Raiders from being in field goal range, potentially win the game. After the game, he's walking off the field. A photographer walks in front of him. He gives him a two hand shove into a concrete wall, basically. The guy goes down. He doesn't offer to help pick him up. He doesn't apologize till after the game in the locker room, uh, which I'm sure he did because I'm sure somebody for the Raiders PR told him he needed to do that. Bad look for Devontae Adams. You can't do that under any circumstance. The guy didn't, the photographer didn't run through Devontae Adams and bump him and push him or anything. Uh, he kind of walked in front of him. Uh, and, and again, Devontae Adams in frustration from the game gives him a two-hand shiver, a shove, to me, the NFL is going to suspend Devontae Adams one game, I think, because you can't do that. It's not a good look. Uh, again, what if that was a female? What if the guy bangs his head into the concrete uh, wall of the uh, of, of the runway where he's walking? Could have been a major, major problem. The, the NFL should suspend Devontae one game. Uh, again, significant. you can't just find him here because that's unacceptable, what he did. The guy did nothing wrong, and again... Had he walked, turned around and walked back to help pick him up off the ground, apologized right there in the in the walkway, 
I would be all for just a five. But when you give him a two-hand shove, keep walking, don't turn around, don't even see if the guy's okay, and just keep walking, that 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 that's a gots-to-go moment for, for a one-game suspension for Devontae. Good guy. He doesn't have a history of doing this kind of stuff, but you can't allow this kind of stuff. It's a bad look. Had that been a female, it would, I mean, who knows what could have happened. Had the, had the guy banged his head into the wall, again, who knows what could have happened. Bad look for the for the NFL and Devontae Adams. And so, you know, he should be suspended for one game. Going for two. These coaches continue to go for two around the league. McDaniels, in a one-point game, goes for two with four and a half minutes to go. They don't make it. They lose by one. Harbaugh doesn't kick the field goal uh, a week or so back against uh, – in, 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 uh, in the other game, doesn't go for two. I mean, goes for it on fourth down. They lose to uh, – I mean, just crazy. These coaches, you got to stop being reckless. You got Brandon Staley going for it on fourth and one on his own 45-yard line, up up two points in Cleveland uh, with, with a minute and a half to go, a minute 50 left in the game. And just ridiculous decisions. And it's going to get these coaches, it's going to get one of these coaches fired eventually. I can promise you this, this stuff is going to get somebody fired. And if you look at the statistics, how many of these things Let's look at the, the ledger of how many of these things have worked, led, leading to a victory, and how many of them haven't worked and have led to losses. Go back to last year, Staley with the Chargers, again, the last game of the year against the Raiders. All he has to do is tie the game, and he's in the playoffs. He decides to go for it in Oakland ter- or in Las Vegas territory, doesn't make it. Uh, if he punts, the game's going to end in a tie. He doesn't. If he ends in a tie, he makes the playoffs with the Chargers. He goes for it, doesn't make it. Las Vegas goes down and kicks a field goal, and they go to the playoffs. This this week with with what he did, he got away with it. The guy missed a field goal um, for Cleveland. Uh, you know, Harbaugh finally made the right decision this week in the Bengal game. He kicked the field goal to go up six. That was the right decision, in my opinion. They go down and uh, Cincinnati scores. Give them credit. Baltimore then goes back down, and Justin Tucker, who's Mr. Automatic, going to the Hall of Fame, by the way, kicks the game winner right down the pipe on the last play of the game. So good for good for Baltimore to win the game. But McDaniels should not have gone for two there. You make, you put the pressure back on Kansas City to have to drive the ball. The Raiders actually stopped Kansas City on that drive, which means they got the ball back. And then they would have, would have had the ball back in a tie game. Didn't Not nearly the pressure of having to go win the game. And then uh, who knows what could have happened had, to, had the game either been won by the Raiders in regulation or in overtime. So not 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 down with that. Um, there's some thoughts there. These coaches stop going for two all the time. And I didn't like Andy Reid going for two when he was up seven points either. Kick the extra point, put more pressure on the Raiders to have to score a touchdown and make a two-point conversion. Didn't like that either by Andy Reid. College football, three good games this week. Uh, TCU, Oklahoma State, Bama, Tennessee, Michigan, Penn State. We're going to know more about the Big Ten here with Michigan and Penn State uh, to see who's kind of the next team in line to challenge Ohio State. TCU-Oklahoma. TCU beats Kansas last week. Oklahoma State doing very well, so that's a big game in the Big 12. Remember, uh, Texas destroys Oklahoma last week, 49-0. Big problems in Norman with Venables in that defense. Uh, again, we talk a little bit about that with uh, Coach Levin on our Coach in the Kicker segment on the Florida Football Insiders podcast, so check that out. Uh, and Again, remember, I forgot to tell you, this podcast is presented by Beefo Brady's. 
Himes Avenue and Bush Boulevard here in the Tampa Bay area. We did a remote from Beef's last Saturday. We're going to be doing another remote later in the month. Uh, but again, Beef O'Brady's Home Slice Pizza and Hank's Barbecue are the presenting sponsors of, of the of the Powers on Sports podcast, Florida Football Insiders podcast, as well as the uh, No Quarter Given podcast. So check out our podcast on all your podcast platforms. Appreciate you finding us. Uh, JPO Sports is my Twitter handle. Love to hear from you. If you have any uh, thoughts and comments, um, and again, Bama, Tennessee. Interesting to see what happens with Bryce Young. Does he play? I think Tennessee is a live team here, whether he plays or not. If he doesn't play, I think Tennessee's really live. But I think even if Bryce Young does play, I think Tennessee, Alabama's vulnerable this week. The game's in Knoxville. Hendon Hooker, Josh Heupel, they are playing really, really well in, in Knoxville. Again, we talked to Vince Ferrara here later in the podcast. We're going to preview the game. We're going to give you all the, the matchup issues and all that stuff, keys to victory for both teams. So stay tuned for Vince Farrar later in the podcast. And again, Michigan-Penn State is going to be a good game. And TCU-Oklahoma State. And then you got Utah-USC out on the West Coast. Can Lincoln Riley stay undefeated at USC and stay in the in the, in the, the playoff hunt? So uh, before we get to the interviews, I want to give you a couple of fantasy nuggets. Some bye weeks are starting this week. So again, look at your roster. Make sure you have your bye week situations covered up couple guys to be looking out for in the running back situation. Jeffrey Wilson, again, kind of a no-name guy in San Francisco. is playing really well for the 49ers. Uh, if he's available, obviously scoop him up immediately. He's a guy you may want to look to target uh, from a trade perspective. You could probably get him pretty cheap, but he's doing really well in San Francisco, running the ball very solidly for the 49ers. And Kenneth Walker, the running back in Seattle. Remember, Rashad Penny broke his leg or ankle this week. He's done for the year. Walker was the highly high draft pick out of Michigan State last year. Look at Kenneth Walker pick up on the waiver wire uh, as a guy from a fantasy perspective. So, following our interviews, I'll give you a, a couple of gambling. Actually, let's do it now. I'll, get, I'll give them to you now before we uh, get to to uh, Chris Perez and Vince Ferrara. Let me give you a couple of NFL. In the NFL docket this week, there's a couple good games. Buffalo, Kansas City in Kansas City, Sunday afternoon. Baltimore and the Giants. Remember the Baltimore defensive coordinator left to go to the Giants. So that'll be an interesting game. The Giants are a surprising 4-1. and one. And Baltimore with a, with a must-win game last week against Cincinnati. And maybe the big game, the you know, the showdown in the NFC East this week, Sunday night football in Philadelphia. The Cowboys come a-calling. Cooper Rush probably starts again for the Cowboys. Dak Prescott probably another week away. Again, Cooper Rush wins another game last week in Los Angeles, uh, beating the Rams. Didn't play, didn't offensively dazzle, but did enough. Managed the game, let the defense do their thing, and scored enough. So Dallas uh, in Philadelphia Sunday night will be a really, really good game in the NFC East. And obviously Matt Rule let go mercifully in Carolina this week after a 1-4 start. He's only going to get $40 million not to coach. Thank you very much, David Tepper. But, uh, again, he was in a tough spot. Never had a quarterback. Baker Mayfield was not the answer. Sam Darnold, not the answer. Until Carolina gets a quarterback, they're, they're going to be an irrelevant team in the in the league. You have to have a quarterback. We'll be interesting to see which way they go from a coaching hire. Do they hire an assistant coach, a younger guy? offensive guy or do they hire they go after a veteran guy a guy like Sean Payton somebody like that potentially um, to fill that void so that'll be interesting to see what happens in Carolina but Matt Rule no longer the coach out 
a nice, cool $40 million parachute out the doors. Thank you very much. Picks this week, I like Tennessee plus a 7.5 against Alabama. I like Kansas City at home Sunday afternoon plus the 3 against Buffalo. And I like a lean, a lean to Penn State plus a touchdown in Ann Arbor. I, I kind of I like the veteran quarterback. I think the defense is pretty good at Penn State. I think Michigan's good, but they're not great. But again, can Penn State control Blake Corum in that running game? Remember, J.J. McCarthy's the quarterback at, at Michigan now, full time. But again, you got uh, uh, the veteran quarterback at Penn State, been there 100 years. He's still there. And again, Penn State getting a touchdown. I kind of like the touchdown. I think I think that's a four or five point game in Ann Arbor on Sunday. And I, I really do like Tennessee plus seven and a half, especially since it's more than a touchdown. So there you have it. Enjoy the podcast. Enjoy Chris Perez and Vince Ferrara as we talk MLB playoffs in Bama, Tennessee. We'll be right back. The Powers on Sports, Florida Football Insiders, and No Quarter Given Podcast is presented by Beefo Brady's on the corner of Bush Boulevard and Himes Avenue in Tampa over in the Forest Hills, Carrollwood area. For all your catering needs, group events, reach out to Beefo Brady's. They can definitely take care of you. If you want to go watch some football on a Thursday, Saturday, Sunday, and even Monday night, I definitely recommend Beefo Brady's corner of Bush Boulevard and Himes Avenue, as well as Hank's Barbecue on Northdale Mabry, just north of Waters Avenue, and Home Slice Pizza Company, which is also right next to the Beefo Brady's on Bush Boulevard and Himes Avenue. So for all of your football watching needs or catering needs, whether it's barbecue, pizza, or Beefo Brady's, reach out to TJ Maloof and tell him the Powers on Sports podcast sent you. All right, welcome back. Major League Baseball, we're, in the, we're into the division series now. The wild card series are over. We have Seattle. We have uh, the Phillies. We have the Padres. And then the fourth team in the American League is the Cleveland Indians have advanced to the division series out of the wild card round. A little surprising that we've only had one ga- one third game between the Mets and the Padres. But we got Chris Perez back with us. We're going to talk again. We talked to Chris last week, and we're going to talk to Chris throughout the baseball playoffs. Chris is a former uh, and major league player with the Indians, Cardinals, and the Dodgers, two-time All-Star closer, so no better person to talk all things baseball playoffs with. Welcome back, Chris. Hey, thanks for having me. All right, so tell me about your playoff history. I know you went to the playoffs one time. You were back in the old format with there was a one-game playoff with the Rays. Talk to Talk to the audience about your kind of one-game uh, playoff scenario when you were with Cleveland. Yeah, we were. Uh, it was 2013. It was uh, Terry Francona's first year, and uh, you know we had a bunch of free agent signings, and and uh, we had a pretty good core of guys the year before. Just needed a couple guys to get over the top, and uh, we played all year pretty well, and then we caught fire towards the end. I think we ended the year with ten wins in a row, and uh, we were able to get the number one wild card spot. So we were hosting the Rays. For that one game playoff and uh unfortunately we didn't even score a run <laughs> we got <laughs> shut out I think we lost five nothing uh so kind of unfortunate end of the season like so quick just one game you're done um I can definitely see this this new format a lot better for for the players I mean you know baseball one game anything can happen uh it's kind of crazy to play uh six months and then have it just come down to one game but it was still fun I mean the you know the atmosphere is definitely different um but talk about the day, talk about the day of pressure. You know when it's a it's a it's basically game seven. 
I mean, I mean, yeah. just the the how every how the manager maybe manages a little differently. How you guys, you know, your preparation might be a little different for the one game scenario. I think everybody's just more focused. You know, it's not as much as uh, you know banter back and forth. You know, it's not just another game, even though that's what you try to. You know, your routine's pretty much the same with the batting practice and everything. But uh, definitely a, a high, heightened sense of urgency. <laughs> um, that was my only experience. You know, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm guessing every playoff game is like that. You know, it's just a, a different level of intensity and, and every pitch pretty much, uh, you know, you're focused and it's not to say during the regular season, you're not, but you know, the, the consequences aren't as, aren't as big, obviously, if you know, you give up a run here or run there during the regular season, well, you got, you know, 161 more games to play. So um, yeah, it's definitely, uh, it's, it's intense. Um, and, and, and you, you know, you, you're playing the best team. So it's, it's going to be a, a tough game either, usually either way. Talk about, talk about playing for Tito Francona. Obviously we know coach Francona from his Boston Red Sox days, managed a long time with the, you know, several different teams, but Cleveland's his last, he's still with Cleveland. They're, they're in the playoffs now. Talk about man or playing for coach uh, Francona. He, he does a great job of building relationships. So, uh, you know, he has every, like, he was the first coach that actually would text me, uh, you know, away from the field about, Hey, good game or, or, you know, uh, or even just small stuff like hey, tomorrow, you know, we might not use you. So go have a good night or go enjoy a good dinner. And we, we, you're probably off to, stuff like that. He, he does a really good job of cultivating relationships starting in spring training. And then he's able to, you know, during the season, cause he has those good relationships. He's able, able to, you know, motivate different ways he, he really finds out how the players are and what makes them tick um he's a great coach to play for pretty much you know loose in the locker room he's always hanging out in the locker room playing cards or, or cracking jokes like he makes you feel like he's just you know another one of the guys which kind of you know makes when, when he does have a team meeting or he does call you out or he does ask you to do something it, it comes from a place of a friendship more than as a boss kind of a feeling so uh, guys love playing for him and, and, and he usually gets the best out of his squads and, and guys want to, you know, I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's pro sports. It's, it's, it's your job to, to go out there every day and do well. But I mean, it, it just kind of, you know, it's not that you play better. It's just, you want to, you, you don't want to let him down. You know, right. you don't want to, you don't want to to be the guy that, because he puts so much into it himself. Cool. All right, let's, let's get to uh, the, the one controversy in the wild card round. I want to get your opinion on. So Musgrove <laughs> is pitching a great game on Sunday night, game three in New York. In about the fifth, sixth inning, here comes Buck Showalter out of the dugout. The Mets are getting rolled. He's pitching great. And all of a sudden, Showalter wants to question, what sub, is there a substance on his ear? Whatever, right. whatever, whatever. If you're, if you're a pitcher and, a, and a, an opposing manager comes out and does that, what is that? venom get in your 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 mind and your your you know what, what do you think well, i think they they covered it pretty well in the uh during the broadcast like uh, you could see after that inning he, he made a couple of gestures when he got a strikeout or something towards their bench like uh i think i think buck was half playing gamesmanship half if you look his ears were really shiny but i mean sticky stuff doesn't shine i, I mean you would almost have to be an idiot to try to, to be that blatant nowadays to get away with stuff. So I, I think part of it was Buck trying to get under his skin. Maybe, maybe he over starts overthrowing a little more and you get a couple of runners on and he makes a mistake, hangs a slider or a curveball. And now you have a tie game. Right. I think that was part of it. Um, and then I think if you look, if, if you watch the whole broadcast early on uh, in like the second or third inning, they showed Buck in the, in the dugout with like some balls from, from, from the game. And you can see him, he was like feeling them in his hand and seeing if there was any kind of substance on it. 
because, uh, you know, obviously the hitters were coming back saying, you know, this guy's different tonight. You know, we've seen him before, uh, and, you know, he's got different stuff tonight. And um, so, I mean, luckily he luckily he, he was clean. You know, that, I mean, you know, the, the umpires, obviously you saw him rub all over his ears and stuff. But luckily they didn't find anything to throw him out because that would just been, you know, just kind of a black eye for baseball. But, um, you know. He, Is it he, Bush League? No, it's not really. I mean, you know, it's in the rule book. Uh, you know, you're allowed to question if if you have a, you know, you're allowed to do that. I, I don't know if the umpires had to actually go and feel all over his ears and stuff. They could have, they could have said, you know what, we don't see any any reason why. Right. But uh, they they let Buck, you know, they, they heard him out and and they, you know, now as Musgrove, I think that just tells me, you know, I, I'm, you know, these guys can't touch me tonight. You know, they're right. they're they're going to see if I have substances. That's how good I'm throwing the ball. And, you know, he he continued to dominate the rest of the night. So he just pitched a hell of a game. Sometimes that's – you got to tip your cap. And uh, starting pitching still is – you know, I, I know the last couple of years we've gotten into, like, bullpens and openers and starting pitching. But starting pitching in the playoffs, it's uh, – if you have it, it's definitely a commodity. No, he's he's done a great job for the Padres since he went he, – he, he came over from Pittsburgh. He's been a really good pitcher for San Diego for sure. Yeah, for San Diego for sure. All right, let's talk about the, the Rays and Indians real quick and we'll get to the division series. Zero zero, fifteen inning game. I mean, crazy kind of game. Nobody was getting any hits. They set a major league record for strikeouts. If you're in that bullpen, knowing you're going to be in the game at some point here coming up, just what is the mindset of of of, of the guys coming in for both sides? And then Kluber obviously gives up the home run in the fifteenth inning. Yeah, it's uh, it's kind of like uh, you just want to go out there and obviously continue the game. I mean. Uh coming out of the bullpen that's always your goal is to give up no runs but uh you know when extra innings cold day the elimination game uh the guys coming out of the bullpen, the Rays bullpen definitely had a little more pressure than the guys coming out of the Guardians bullpen um you you, you just hope you have your best stuff and you, you know you don't make a mistake and, and the Rays guys did well and then Kluber yeah. did you know he pitched a couple innings but just one mistake and that's it you know that's uh it sucks it's hard to live with how hard? How hard is it as a starter to have to get up in a in a relief appearance like that in a playoff game when you're used especially, to starting all year long? You've been a starter. Yeah, it's 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 definitely different, especially for Kluber. He's a veteran guy. You know, he's not he hasn't been out of the bullpen probably in ten years. So um, it's it's definitely different. I I know if you ask him, he's not going to use it as an excuse. But you know, uh, starters like routines. They like knowing you know. They get they got get out there forty five minutes, fifty minutes before the game starts. They stretch, they long toss, they warm up, they walk in like it's a whole routine. Yeah. Coming out of the bullpen, you know the adrenaline's pumping, especially in a playoff game, especially in his old stadium. Like that's where yeah, he made his right. name, Cleveland. So yeah, I mean, I'm sure he had some mixed emotions running out there too. And then and then you you know here you go, one mistake, the game's over, and and, and it's tough, it sucks, and. uh that's baseball, but as a pitching staff, you give a one run in 15 innings, you got to win that game, right? I mean, some of the pressure has to be, you know, some of the blame needs to be shown oh, on the offense. Oh, like, absolutely, yeah, sure. absolutely. You can't scratch a run together in 15 innings in an elimination game. Like, you don't deserve to win. And what what's bothersome to me more and more with, with, with the more and more of the analytics and all the launch angle and all that stuff, these guys are not willing to play small ball. We're not willing in a zero-zero game. Let's get a guy to second base with one out. Let's bunt him over. Let's right. figure out a way to get him to third base with less than two outs. And let's be able to hit a fly ball. It's crazy how – Especially – Go ahead. Yeah, especially in today's day and age where there's no pitchers hitting anymore. Like it's yeah. even another, another part of the game that's just like ignored now. And um, I think last night a, a couple teams are starting to do a little bit of that. And 
I think if you see the the teams that are in the World Series, they're probably going to be the ones that are bunting more and playing for that one run. Um, it just put it just changes games and, and puts pressure on the defense. And and you always want to be playing from ahead. And if you're ahead, you always want to tack on. So um, it, I think baseball. I think slowly but surely we might be getting back to that next year with with the rule changes and the no shifts and everything. We can get back to hit and runs and, and that kind of stuff. But right. uh, yeah. <laughs> It's 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 pathetic not to be able to score a run in 15 innings. All right. We are talking MLB playoffs. We are now in the divisional round. We are taping this on Thursday morning. So there's basically all the game ones of the division round have been played. Yankees win, Dodgers win, Phillies win. And I want to start with Seattle. So <laughs> your Seattle Mariners will give you credit. You picked them last round to beat Toronto. It's a great pick there. I don't think a lot of people thought they were going to be able to beat Toronto. So great call there. We won't talk about the other three series we all we we botched, but okay. <laughs> but most yeah. people, it's, it's weird. They, I mean, all four, basically all three out of the four were upsets, and then yeah. Cleveland, Tampa Bay was kind of fifty fifty, but the other three were kind of upsets that, that everybody thought that the that the other the home team would win. So it's been a it's been a you know, interesting first first wild card round. Let's go to Seattle first. Yeah, Seattle. I mean, yeah. uh, I think. They stubbed their toes yesterday, but uh, they had a good one against Toronto. Uh, you know, uh, Castillo pitched like I thought he would. Uh, they got enough clutch hitting. Uh, J-Rod is on fire. He, You know, he's, he really sets the table for them. Just like last night, I think he had yeah. three or four hits. Like, they're a good team. I, I think they can still come back. You know, now remember, that was their number three pitcher last night against Verlander, uh, who, who's Houston's ace. So, you know, Seattle still has Castillo to come in the play in this round. Um, you know, it's it's going to be a – I think it's going to be a battle. You know, Houston's a great team. You look, they've been there before. Uh, everyone on their team, besides Pena, pretty much is, is, has, you know, playoff experience. So it's going to be a battle. And uh, I wish it was a seven-game series myself. Uh, right. For this for this round, five games is is quick. <laughs> but uh, So what I want to ask you about Seattle is, what is, you know, Seattle, if you didn't see fans on Wednesday, Seattle's up big against Verlander. They bomb Verlander, get him out of the game quick, third or fourth inning. They're up seven to three in the eighth, and their bullpen has a full meltdown in the ninth inning. They bring in Robbie Ray, and then Jordan Alvarez hits a three-run homer to win the game. They were on the opposite end of that last week against Toronto. They were getting killed. They were seven to one down to Toronto. And again, what is Toronto doing taking out Gossman in the sixth inning? I don't know. That's the analytics. That's they're, the, they're, uh... they're freaking stud ace, and they take them out sixth innings up seven to one. He's given yeah. up a couple hits, and, they, and, they, and the bullpen just has a full meltdown. How do you know when Seattle's been on both sides of it now? They've given one up, and they've made a huge comeback. How does that affect that clubhouse after such a demoralizing loss in game one? I think they're up today. Uh, you know, uh, you know, it's, it's still it's an off day today. It's weird. It's an it off is. day in the American League. It's weird. I know. This whole schedule has just been up and down. But, um, you know, they, they can't feel great. But at the same time, you know, they're ball players. They're, you know, today's a new day. Tomorrow's a new day. They're going to be at the ballpark today during their workout it, it it's how you react to situations like that they can hold their heads and, and if they have a you know a two-run lead tomorrow night in the game uh they could be all nervous and 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 worried or they could just say you know that was that was just a game uh to, we, we have four more to go and uh we could we could turn it on we did it to, 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 to we did it against toronto like you said we scored a lot of runs late um it's just having that short memory and that's that's what makes good good players and good teams and what doesn't and uh, luckily, they get another shot. I think what helps is they got a young team, got a lot of young guys who 
you've never been to the playoffs before. None of them have with the Mariners, but I think you got a lot of young guys and led by J Rod and you got some, you got some really young, talented guys that, yeah. in that lineup. And you got some veterans too. Like Carlos Santana has been there game seven. Uh, he lost game seven world series to the Cubs. Yeah. Uh, you know, um, it's gonna it's it's gonna be interesting. Uh, at the same time, you know they, they got they can take something away. They scored six runs off of Verlander. You know, like right. that's uh, nobody expected that the way he's been throwing. That's that that's like three starts worth of runs for him. So, right. um, you know, their offense just needs to keep doing what they're doing. Maybe add on a little bit. You know, they, they didn't really add on yesterday after Verlander got out of there. That's that might be a lesson for them. You know, don't don't pull back at all. We got you know if we score twelve thirteen runs, that 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 might might be how much it takes to beat this Houston team sometimes. So. Um, it's going to be a good series. I think it might go all five games. Uh, like I said earlier, Seattle still has their best pitchers to come. Um, it's going to be a battle. Castillo goes in game two. He's their horse. That's a game that's a game I think they need to win. They need to get game two uh, with Castillo. That's almost a must win with Castillo on the mound. Yeah. Uh, there's a couple of those coming up. Those must wins. Uh, the Braves have one today. You don't want to yes. go down. Uh, you know, Oh, two with your two best pitchers going. You don't want that to happen. So. Um, yeah, there's a couple. That's why this playoffs. It's great, right? Like, that's just it. Uh, momentum. Momentum's only as good as your next day starter, really. So, um, you know, all these teams that either got off to a slow start or, like the last night, the Dodgers got off to a good start. You know, it, it can all change with uh, with the next day's pitchers. And what's going to be interesting is how how does the, all the days off for the Braves, Yankees, Astros, and Dodgers? You know, it looked like Atlanta came out slow yesterday with three, didn't pitch very well. Talk to me about what you think. How you think that layoff? Do you think that layoff had any, had any impact in any of the series, good or bad? I mean, I, I actually thought it would be a little bit more of a you know a, a, um, a factor. Only only the Braves really looked bad. I mean, the Dodgers looked good. Yankee, um, Yankee the played Yankees good. Looked, the Yankees played good against a tough Cleveland pitcher. You know, Contreras not a bad pitcher. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I actually thought it would affect the teams more. Uh, they should be. They should have the advantage. Their bullpen should be fresh. They have their rotation set up the way they want. Uh, you know, Seattle and and uh, the Phillies and and uh, you know the Indians, uh, the Guardians. They they've all come in. The Padres. They've all come in after series. You know, the right. Padres played three games. <laughs> that was their fourth starter last night <laughs> against the Dodgers. You know, ERA leader the ace uh, Urias. So I yeah. mean, that's a huge disadvantage. But it's the, it's the playoffs. There's no excuses. You know, it's. Uh, I'm I'm sure they'd rather be playing with their fourth pit best pitcher than sitting at home watching. So, but uh, yeah, I, I thought the, the layoff was going to affect these teams a lot more. But uh, the, the Phillies, man, they just seem to be rolling right now. So the, the, you know, every year that there's one or two teams that kind of have that mojo. Yeah, and um, you know, they eliminated uh, the Cardinals in St. Louis. Nobody thought that was going to happen, and now they're in Atlanta, who, who they're familiar with. Yeah, so they're not they're not intimidated by Atlanta. Um, and they go out there and, and jump on them early and, and uh, hold on late. <laughs> and it was and it was interesting how Philadelphia and I know they did this on purpose. I'm sure they all of a sudden named Thompson the permanent manager right before the Brave series start. Give them a little extra spark that they know their guy's going to be back next year, which they probably knew that was going to happen anyway. But they announced it publicly that he signed a contract. Just that little bit of extra motivation and interest. How does that? How does that play into it? Yeah, I mean, uh, obviously they responded to him when he got the uh, took over for uh, Girardi early in the year. So there's some kind of connection that they have with him. So it's yeah, it's definitely. I mean, it's not that the, like they're thinking about that going into the game, like oh my god, you know, uh, manager might not be here next year. But it definitely helps them knowing. All right, you know, this is our guy. It helps him manage. It helps yeah. him manage. You know, uh, he's not scared to, to make a move now or or to you know make a pitch and change or some you know send up a pinch hitter or something and worrying about. 
oh man, you know, if we lose, I might not be back next year. Uh, so it, it it probably helps him a lot more uh, making up decisions and stuff like that. All right, talk to talk to the audience again. You listen to Powers on Sports podcast with Chris Perez, two time Major League Baseball All Star closer. Uh, we're talking division series. We're talking behind the behind the curtain a little bit. Tell the fans in a in any game, but especially a playoff game. What is your routine as a closer during the game? The game starts. You're sitting in the bullpen. You know it's easy to want to sit around for a couple hours. At what point in the game do you start moving around a little bit, thinking, okay, I might get in tonight? You start stretching in the third or fourth inning. What do you? What what is, what is kind of your routine, especially in a playoff game when you're in the bullpen? Yeah, well, playoff game you're, it's a little different because literally you could be called in at any time, uh, especially at an elimination game. Um, you know, I didn't really play in any in the big leagues, but in college, you know, in, in elimination games, I came in in the fifth inning. Sometimes I came in in the sixth inning. So it's totally different than the regular season, but yeah, you just kind of sit. I mean, me personally, I I would just see it, see how the flow of the game's going. You know, every game kind of goes different. Some are, are you know tight pitching duels, others are the hitters come out swinging and the ball's flying, and, and it's ten to eight, and you know everybody's feeling good. Um, I I usually started focusing in more around the fifth inning and seeing like where the lineups are. All right, you know who who might I face in the ninth inning? Uh, start visualizing that kind of stuff. Start stretching, playing catch with the outfielders, kind of thing. Um, and then, you know, as the game gets tighter and tighter and later and later, then you just start, um, just start focusing really just, like I said, looking at the lineup, who I might face, who's on the bench, that kind of thing. Uh, if it's the, if it's the sixth inning or the seventh inning, you're probably going to face them in the ninth inning. So you see their last to bat or how your guys in the bullpen attacked them or how they're swinging it today, that kind of stuff. Um, luckily I was pretty young when I was closer, so I didn't have to like get stretched out you know, underneath the, in the seventh or eighth inning, like Mariano's famous for, but um, yeah, definitely around the fifth inning, if it's a close game, you start focusing a lot more. How many pitches does it take to you for, for you to get heated up? Uh, in a playoff, playoff atmosphere, probably like less than five <laughs> <laughs> with, the, with the adrenaline, you know, pumping and stuff. Um, right. But it, it, it all depends, but usually on a normal day, if, if I had thrown the night before, it wouldn't take that much at all. It's almost okay. like your arms still kind of warmed up. At least mine was. Um, now, if it's been like four or five days, you know, you might be warmed up, but your location might not be there. So it might take a few more. Um, and, and these guys, they're, they're so good at it. I mean, uh, they're playing catch in between innings, sometimes with the outfielders. And, and, and all, all you need is to throw a couple off-speed pitches and they're ready to go. Like, uh, it's, it, every, every reliever kind of has it down to their own personal, you know, routine of, of pitches and, and every manager knows that too. Some guys take longer and, and the managers know that. So it, it's, it's interesting to watch, but nowadays they seem to overtell them, you know, like, Hey, you might have next inning. Why don't you stretch out a little bit now and, you know, get, get mentally ready and get ready. Cause you might have like, I think a lot of bullpens are run that way nowadays and it actually helps them out. All right. A couple more questions. I'll get you out of here to so talk. Let's talk about uh, Aroldis Chapman. <laughs> I mean, just totally blows off the Yankee practice, and then he's left off the division roster. Is there any yeah. chance? Is there any chance that he gets put back on the roster? Or do you think he's done? I mean, if they have like five injuries, that's yeah. the only. <laughs> I don't think there's any chance they're gonna. Uh, his last days with the Yankees have happened. Yeah. Um, it might be. It might be addition by subtraction. Honestly, yeah. Uh, when you have somebody that's uh that selfish and and self centered, and uh, that's obviously not a team player. And this whole time of year is guys, you know, stepping up and doing stuff that is out of the norm and helping the team win. And uh, that just, I mean, yeah, it's not a good situation. But, uh, you know, luckily they told him to stay home and 
uh, you know, they got the 25, 26 guys around the club that are all bought in to try to win a championship. All right. So these, these workouts, these in between these, these workouts, these team workouts, be honest with the crowd, the, the audience. You don't, yeah. do Jack, you don't do Jack during these workouts as he's, as the closer, do you? Oh, uh, I mean, you, you face, you, 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 you have to get your work in. Yeah. So you're, I mean, it's not like, you know, trying, <laughs> it's not like trying out for the team, Yeah. but, but you, you still want to stay sharp. You want to get your work in because you know, these five, six day layoffs, it does affect you. Uh, it, it has to, um, there's no way to replicate the feel of a game, but these workouts, these inner squads, these like simulated BPs, uh, yeah, you have to, you have to keep the feel of your pitches. And uh, just playing catch and throwing bullpens doesn't do it. So I remember we had a workout in 2013 before the wildcard game and like every reliever threw an inning or so. And okay, uh, yeah. So it, it, um, definitely a different kind of workout though, for the one Chapman needs to do. Like they wanted, that was almost like a tryout, you know? Like, right. Right. Yeah. And, and when you're fighting for that last one or two roster spots for a playoff roster, you know, it might be a young guy that has no experience that has good stuff. Yeah. Or it might be somebody like Chapman, who's had a bad year, but he still has all that experience and, right. and has a lot of stuff. That that one little outing, uh, you know, on a yeah. Tuesday before the playoff game, that might sway some guys. So now is that now is that where the the manager reviews a lot of things as far as coverages on over you know on on rotations and all those kind of bunt rotations things? Is that where that stuff gets really reemphasized? Stuff like that? Oh, without a doubt, it's like a mini uh, spring training. Uh, you know, you run, go over first and third plays. You go over your bunt plays. You go over your, you know squeezes, uh, right. steals, all that stuff. Yeah, it's a. I mean, you can't really do much because it's only in one or two days, but. You, it, you know, at that time, every player should already know it. It's, it's mental, just like a, just mental yeah, reminder. Just a refresher course. Just walk through it. And, and yeah, I mean, it's kind of like a walkthrough for a day before a football game. You know, like you already know what you're supposed to do, but let's just visualize it. Let's just run it through a couple times and make sure we, we have it all right. You would hate to lose a game because you didn't do it, you know. And especially nowadays, a lot of these games are going to be one-run games, low-scoring one-run games. So that hit-and-run or that bunt, that bunt play is going to be critical. Well, if you can, if, you know, if you can get an out at third base on a bump play and, and, and stop that scoring, you know, that scoring threat, that's yep. huge. That's yep. huge. Cool. All right. Last question. So we had some had some fan interaction last week that people liked the the interaction with the fans. They they liked what you did last week. You did a good job on on your debut of the Powers on Sports podcast. Had a couple fan questions. We want to throw one out to you here today. Just a sure. good one. Um, couple couple of the fans responded on Twitter. You had a you had a really good uh, off speed pitch was kind of your your out pitch your slider was kind of your big pitch, and the fans want to know why did you call your slider Chris Junior? Because <laughs> uh, it was just like a mini extension of me, you know. Like <laughs> it always got it always got the job done. I always uh, counted on it when I needed to get a big out or something. So uh, <laughs> that's a good one. Um, I don't think I personally called it Chris Junior. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I had two pitches, fastball slider. So if one wasn't working, I had to rely on the other one. So <laughs> that's a good one. Um, thanks for that. <laughs> we want to thank the Twitter, <laughs> the Twitter verse for that. Twitter verse. Yeah. I think I know. Who, <laughs> I think I knew who asked that one too. Just like last week. It was a, it was a collaborative effort, apparently. <laughs> God. Yeah. <laughs> I'll have to get them back. <laughs> what um in all seriousness when you gr- growing up how did you determine a slider was going to be your pitch as opposed to a curveball or a split finger or how did the, how did the, the the slider become your 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 big off-speed pitch 
Uh, it's kind of evolution, really. I mean, uh, when I was in high school, I had a curveball. And then, um, I, you know, it was good, but I couldn't, like, master it for strikes. It, it would break really well, but, you know, if they didn't swing at it, it was a ball. Um, and then a pitching coach of mine showed me this grip for a slider, and I could throw it for strikes better, which is what I needed. Um, I didn't really need a chase pitch because I had such good velocity and stuff. I could get strikeouts with in the zone. Right. So um, I basically I, I picked the slider because I could throw it for strikes easier. And uh, it kind of went with my arm slot too. I wasn't over the top. I was kind of low three quarters yep. and um, the slider arm slot. So it was more of a slurve. You know, like a lot of these people call sliders and stuff. They're really slurves in between the curveball and the, and the slider. Um, a true slider is is really a cutter. You know, something that's just cutting a little bit. Um, but yeah, that's how I picked it. And then I just went with it. And uh, luckily, I didn't need to try to develop any other pitches. I just had fastball slider. And, and like I said, my velocity and movement was good enough where I didn't have to, um, you know, I didn't have to locate it as well. I could be aggressive in the strike zone and just let it do its thing. Who hit the longest, whoever hit the longest bomb off of you? Oh, man. I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't know like the actual numbers, but uh, like Miguel Cabrera hit a bomb in, in Detroit off me. <laughs> uh, it, like th- that field was big anyways. I think it went like over the bullpens. Yeah. So that was a big one. Um, I think, I think actually Josh Donaldson for uh, when he yeah. was with Toronto. Yeah. Maybe he was still with Oakland. I don't remember. He, he hit a good one too. I, I hung a slider. It didn't really do anything. And he just, he crushed well, it into the stands. Yeah. Uh, I, I didn't really play in the stat cast era. Like right. I wish I would have had some of those stats, like, you know, like, um, exit velocities and stuff yeah. like that. Some guy, I mean, you know, those guys get paid too. They're pretty good over on the other side trying to hit you too. They, oh, yeah. They're uh, just some pretty good players over there too. So it would have been fun to see some of those exit velocities. And sometimes <laughs> you just have to turn around and laugh, man. When you, when you hang oh, on and the guy crushes it, you just got to turn around and laugh and say, man, you got me, brother. I, you know, those pitches deserve to be crushed. It's, it's the ones that you make a great pitch and the guy breaks his bat or, or, um, you know, right. has no business getting to and he hits a home run that barely goes over the fence. Those are the ones I heard a lot more for sure. Well, Chris, great job, man. We'll have you back next week. And next week will be probably into the AL and NLCSs because the division series is supposed to wind down, I think, Sunday for most everybody. So uh, we'll know. Who, we'll we know didn't make who. our picks yet, though. We didn't make our picks. Yeah, I forgot. Let's go. All right, so I'll, I'll, okay. We're going to make picks even though we know what the first game yeah. result is. Well, I'm still going to go with Seattle. They're my they're my World Series team. I'm, I'm going to go with them. Um, Yankees-Cleveland. Go Yankees-Cleveland. I'm going to go with the Yankees. Uh, yeah. Doesn't look like Cleveland's offense is going to be able to keep up at all. Um, and, and Judge hasn't even gone off yet. So uh, I'm going to go with go with the Yankees. Uh, I'll, I'm I'll go- take Yankees too. Yep. And then NL, I, I want to take the Padres so bad. Uh, I, I, I'm going. I'll take the Padres over the Dodgers. I know it's a big upset. Okay. Uh, I know they lost last night, but I, I still think they have enough pitching to get it done, and their offense is still. You know, it's, it's it's against the Mets. They were hot, and last night they scored a couple runs. I'm going to go with the Padres. If they can split, because they're going to have their big guys coming at the, at the back end of this series, if yep. they can somehow win game two, they're going to be in a good spot with Darvish and then Musgrove and Snell coming on the back three. I agree. And, and their offense, they, they need Juan Soto to take over. They need Soto to hit a couple bombs, uh, be, be Soto. Yep. Machado's good. But, yeah, if, if Juan Soto could become Juan Soto, they have a chance. Um, Atlanta, think, uh, Philly. I'm going to go with Atlanta still. I, I am Philly, too. I am too. I just think they're too deep. Uh, they have too many hitters. 
yesterday, you know, they came back. They almost they almost tied it. They did. So, uh, I still want to go with Atlanta. I, I don't trust Philly's bullpen at all. Um, and then what's the last one? Uh, That's it. That was all four. Yep, that was all four. Yeah. So that, yeah. yep. So we got those my picks. We got Yankees, Seattle, and we got Padres, Bravos, and the NL and ALCS. That's uh, mine. Yeah, there you go. I, I like every. I, I like. I think the Dodgers will find a way to get through. So I think it's going to be Atlanta, LA. I don't love the Dodgers, but yeah, um, they're deep. Please. They're deep team. Yeah, they're a deep team. I like upsets. And I kind of want to see it. Chris Martin closed the game last night for the Dodgers. What do you think of that? It, it, it's up in the air. It's going to be. It's going to be matchups. I feel like uh, you know, Kimbrel hasn't been as good as he's been, and it's just going to be. If there's two or three lefties hitting, it's going to be a lefty to close it out. If it's a couple of righties, it's going to be a righty. It's, they're just going to mix and match, and hope, hopefully they can get it done. Right, right. All right, man. We'll talk next week for sure, man. Appreciate the Sounds great good. insight. We'll have more Twitter questions for you. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna have you're gonna have to reveal your sources after the after the World Series. Yeah. How was? By the way, how was? Uh, how was? How was your? How was? Uh, Swan, good place. How was <laughs> yeah, Spritzers? Uh, they were good they were flowing (laughs) if you haven't been i recommend it yes it was a good place (laughs) all right buddy we'll talk to you next week all right see you man special thanks to our partners at print and marketing solutions and realtor star alvarado if you are looking to sell your home or are looking to purchase a home anywhere in the tampa bay area from tampa to saint pete to wesley chapel and everywhere in between reach out to star alvarado 813-538-9572. She will be a great advocate for you on both the selling side and the purchasing side of the real estate transaction. So Star Alvarado, 813-538-9572. Print and Marketing Solutions. Do you have a corporate event? Do you have golf tournaments? Are you involved in an election? Do you need signs, banners, road signs? Do you need marketing pieces? Do you need color copies, business cards, everything in between? Reach out to Todd Tedesco, 813-498-2887. Todd's located off of the, the intersection of Lineball and Gun Highway over in Carrollwood. He is a full-service print and digital marketing supplier. Anything you need in the print and, print needs, Todd can help you. So reach out to Todd Tedesco, 813-498-2887. Print and Marketing Solutions. Are you in the market for a new home as we enter the fall? First time home buyer, you want to upsize or downsize your current living situation? Reach out to Titan Home Lending for all of your home lending needs. If you need an FHA, VA, conventional, jumbo, or even a bank statement loan, Titan is the place to help you. We will work with whatever financial situation you are dealing with. Again, from Key West to Pensacola to Orlando to everywhere in between. Titan Home Lending is your home lending source in the state of Florida. Reach out to Jason Powers, 205-790-1404. All right, welcome back. Powers on Sports Podcast. Appreciate you finding us. we got a great segment. we got the game of the week coming up this Saturday in Knoxville. Showdown SEC style. we got one of the big rivalries in the, in the SEC, Alabama, Tennessee, probably the biggest game at Tennessee in probably 20 years, to be honest with you. I know they've had some other, other years where they've had some good teams, but this is a legit Tennessee team that's going to be hosting potentially a wounded Alabama team. We don't know what the, what the status of Bryce Young is yet, but no better person to talk Tennessee Vols, SEC, 
and even some Alabama than my my Tampa guy from Jefferson High School up at 99.1, the sports animal in Knoxville, Mr. Vince Ferrara. Welcome back, Vince. My man, JP, how are you? Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. All right, so it's just, uh, college game day coming back for like the second time in a month to, to Knoxville. Yeah. Before we get to the game this week, let's let's look back to last week a little bit. I want to start with uh, the, the emphatic victory in Baton Rouge. A lot of people thought LSU was ripe for an upset there. Give Tennessee and Hypo credit. They went in there and manhandled LSU. Just your thoughts. Really impressed, Jason. I thought LSU would be more of a challenge to Tennessee than they were. I was telling people during the week, you guys are making way too much of that Auburn game where LSU did not play great and had to rally from 17 points down. As it turned out, some of the flaws they showed in that game were even more exposed against Tennessee. Opening kickoff, I know some people view that as, eh, Tennessee got a lucky break, LSU fumbled the opening kickoff. Here's the thing with that. I think the coaches were all over the situation. I asked Heupel about the sun because the returner was actually looking into the sun and he had switched spots with his other returner prior to that. So now that returner just got to that spot, is looking into the sun, and I asked him if that came into play in in, uh, in deciding to do that sky kick, which we really haven't seen all that much. He said, yeah, it did factor in our decision. If we were to get the, the, the coin flip and that's what we we're going to do, and he said, yeah, factored in, in the decision. That's pretty astute for the coaching staff to yeah. be aware of right. where the sun is facing and then decide on a style of kickoff based on that so really sharp it just shows that this coaching staff is in tune with everything their details the details yeah the details and um and so the the way they didn't look ahead to Alabama surely they had no reason to because they're not that good yet to where they can overlook people Uh, but they did and they were ready for that atmosphere they were Brian Kelly said they were out coached. They absolutely were out coaching LSU. This team has a whole bunch of answers and they're explosive, but then they can run the ball too. People think, oh, it's just gimmick with a tempo. Oh, they just throw the ball all the time. They ran the ball in that game almost twice as much as they threw it, but they make it count when they throw the ball. Um, Hooker is a Heisman candidate, no doubt about it. And Small going over 100 yards. Brew McCoy now over 100 yards receiving in consecutive games. They've been doing this without maybe the best receiver in the SEC in Cedric Tillman. Right. So we'll get to him in a minute. But this is really impressive. They they didn't have their starting left tackle. LSU didn't have their starting left tackle. Then they lost their starting left guard, and they looked lost. And Tennessee took advantage of that with stunts and pressures to that side to put strain on them to know what they were doing. Tim Banks went to those pressures knowing that that was the best way to win with them being a little bit susceptible, young and injured on the back end. So he said, you know what, we're going to heat up Jaden Daniels and they're not going to throw down the field that much anyway. Just the coaching, the, the adjustments, all of them supreme where Brian Kelly was Right. making desperate fourth down decisions and all those kind of stuff. But Tennessee does that because teams don't want to give them the ball back. So it's a really good team. And they, they made a statement nationally in that win. 
No doubt about it. I mean, they played really well on offense. Again, the defense is getting better. They're, they're again, they're, are they elite? No, but are they're not bottom of the barrel either. They're probably middle of the road rankings-wise and statistically, and that's all that you need to be. You don't have to be a top 10 defense with that offense and hype will call the plays. You yep. just have to be serviceable, opportunistic, you know, make some fourth down stops, get a turnover here and there. And again, um, now, yeah, to me, tell me about the defense a little bit. Again, that's the, that's the bugaboo. That'll be a big matchup in this game coming up, but tell me a little bit about the defense. Yeah, you're right. They played better against Florida. They played more zone than what we typically would see. Uh, with a Tim Banks defense. They're a pressure team typically. But this year they've had an improved pass rush where they've at times just rushed their front four and gotten home. Other times they've affected the quarterback without a sack. And then other times they just heat them up with different kinds of blitzes, DBs, linebackers, different things like that. They have a wide uh, array of different kinds of blitzes. Uh, They ran a lot of stunts. Like I mentioned, they confused LSU's offensive line. That was a little bit different twist that we haven't seen them do as much you know they're sampling in some young players like Joshua Josephs man he had a sack on Daniel super explosive big time long arms and and can run like a deer uh, Jack linebacker Byron Young had two and a half sacks where he was all SEC coming into the season they needed him to be their best pass rusher he only had one actual sack coming into this game but he's come close a lot and he affected the quarterback in the final play against Florida. So he's he's impacting QBs, even if he didn't have a, a whole bunch of sacks, but he did in this game. A lot of guys had a really good game. They were better on the back end, but they need that pass rush to help them on the back end. And look, honestly, a part of that, Jason, was the opponent. LSU was not willing to throw the ball right. down the field for whatever reason. Booty. He just doesn't have chemistry with his coaching staff for Daniels. Obviously, Alabama presents a whole different challenge from that standpoint. Although young and banged up at the wide receiver position, who's available for them in a lot of ways it is can really change this game. But Tennessee will be far greater challenged against Alabama with their defense. But just really like what we saw from a scheme standpoint. We'll see if – the steps they took in this game, in that LSU game, uh, can carry over to some degree, even though the challenge is going to be tougher. So let's go to Alabama real quick. Obviously, they struggle with A&M. No, no Bryce Young. You figured they would, wouldn't would be as potent offensively with Milrow at quarterback. They weren't. You know, they he several turnovers, that kind of stuff, and they had to run the ball a lot more. or They weren't able to throw the ball very well. Last play of the game, LSU, I mean, who would have thought A&M would have had one play from the two-yard line to win the game? Not right. many people in the country. Give me your thoughts, last play of the game, Texas A&M, Alabama. Yeah, Jason, I'm hearing a lot of people say that is the worst play call I've ever seen in college football <laughs> and what an idiot Jimbo Fisher is. Right. Let me t- go back and watch this. Let me tell you what happened there. And Nick Saban even admitted in the postgame, he's like, we changed it because there was a timeout just before that. He said, we changed our leverage on the perimeter just before the the play during that timeout. So the corner over there, number three, he's playing now outside leverage between the sideline and the receiver, which means they're trying to get that receiver to redirect inside where they had the safety kind of lined up close. The line of scrimmage, but he you could tell he was cheating over, he was ready to play that any sort of slant. So 
Now that's a two-on-one to that side. If that's your play call and you have one-on-one on the other side, including with your tight end, who you've had really good success in that game, you can't go where the numbers aren't in your favor. Right. That was on Haynes King. Right. That's one. Two, Haynes King was late throwing that ball. Yep. He he didn't the receiver had already started his break back towards the sideline when he when Haynes King threw the ball. By that time, he has to come back to try to make a play on the ball or else he's not going to catch it. So and even if he would have caught it, he was at the two yard line when he caught it. Right. But that's not because of the play call. Right. That's because of Haynes King and the receiver. I think the receiver cut that short because he thought he wasn't going to be he was going to be able to get outside of the receipt of the corner and he couldn't. So he cut it off. But King needs to have that ball out before he breaks to where it's there at the goal line. And so his momentum doesn't take him back. And, And even if Jimbo said, this is the play you're going to run. If you're Haynes King and you're a dude, you have to run a different, you have to go a different direction right. and show that you know you're aware and that's the best option because I bet you Jimbo would be fine with that. So I, I don't care whether he has ability to audible or not. Haynes King has got to make that decision better and go a different direction right. in that play. So that's what happened on that last play. On, it wasn't on Jimbo. To me, it was on Haynes King. Oh, I agree. I mean, I agree. That's that. That's I've seen far worse plays in in game winning situations than that. I mean, and yeah. you, it, and you know, there's two or three progressions in that play. There's not just one option, right? I mean, and it, it, it and, and like you said, the quarterback has to see that safety cheating to the wide receiver, knowing yeah. he's going to get double because that's their number one wide receiver. Stewart was the right. big freshman. You know Saban's not going to let Stewart beat him in a one-on-one situation, yep. which means if you're king, you know you have to go somewhere else with the ball, and I agree with you. Yeah. Or be on time and right. be so precise that it fits in there before the safety can get there. Correct. I agree with you 100%. All right, let's go to, let's, let's, let's go to this week. Before we get to on the field, I know there was, a, there was an off-the-field incident at Tennessee over the weekend involving yeah. one of their starting safeties, I believe. Give us yep. an update that Hypo, I know we're, and we're taping this on Monday night, so that obviously a decision may not have been made yet for his status for Saturday, but just give the audience a little update on what Hypo said concerning the, the situation. Yeah, senior safety Jalen McCullough, who has been playing and who's talked to the media since he was a freshman, I mean, he sounded so much more mature from the get-go. Yep. He wouldn't be one that I would think would at least find himself in this situation. But we saw the police report, obviously, um that you know alleging he hit someone that walked into his apartment he thought he was going in his friend's apartment or whatever and uh and so sometimes who knows sometimes you as you know jason what what's in the police report people change their story so we don't know innocent guilty any of that kind of stuff so josh hypo was asked about it in the monday press conference and said look we're still gathering information when administration puts that together, get it to me. We'll talk about it and go from there. So didn't declare suspension or right. picked off the team or any that kind of stuff. And then, you know, we'll see. I, I would be surprised one way or the other if he plays right. because you can't put yourself in that situation to even be there, be trying to uh, declare your innocence and have to go to the legal process and all this investigation, all that you gotta, you got to be smarter than that, and he's at least guilty of putting himself in this situation. So I, I would be a little surprised, but who yeah. knows? You know, um, Heupel, was, I think, has done a good job 
when there have been incidents of jumping on them, knowing what happened and then determining that, not just hiding behind the law, sure. uh, which some coaches will do. So I, I would, I, if he's not out there, I think it's probably Wesley Walker, who is a Georgia Tech transfer in his first year at Tennessee. He's been splitting time slash the number two star DB behind Tamarian McDonald. He played a lot of safety at Georgia Tech, was one of their leading tacklers when he was there. And, and even though he's not listed number two at safety, I think he would be the most experienced guy to go back there paired with Trayvon Flowers. So that's kind of where they would probably go. Uh, and it would, would set up an interesting Georgia Tech versus Georgia Tech potential Jameer meeting Gibbs. with Jameer Gibbs, the running back. Yeah. Maybe they meet in the hole. Maybe they meet in the open <laughs> field. So that yeah. that's kind of another little sidebar to, to look for. But, look, it's not a deep group, Jason, because they haven't played a lot of guys right. back there. They haven't trusted a whole lot of them. Yep. They have other guys that know how to play safety, and they move them around. Uh, Christian Charles Corner said, hey, Coach William Martinez, he said, we, he, he said we're DBs. We're not just the corner, just the safety. So uh, that is a plus of the versatility, but not a whole lot of bodies back there to deal with all kinds of speed that Alabama brings to the table. What about Cedric Tillman? Any update there? Yes. Tillman, Josh Heupel really doesn't talk about injuries, but we try every week. Yeah. And what he said about Tillman this week is he said, look, he had that tightrope surgery with the goal of getting back for this game, right? which is more, we kind of figured that, but he hadn't really put it out there. So at least he verified that. Um, I, I think there's more of a chance in LSU where I didn't think there's any chance at all. Look, you got to practice by Wednesday, basically. Right. And even if he was to try to play, and I still think it might be a little ambitious, we don't know one, how, how effective he's going to be Two, how much he's going to trust it. So you know, maybe we see him, but in certain packages, red zone, and, maybe red zone stuff. Right. Exactly. Where he can just jump up and make a play, that kind of thing. So it, it's a shame because the way Brew McCoy and Jalen Hyatt are playing right now, right. wide receiver, if a healthy Cedric Tillman, who many thought was the best receiver in the sec coming in, you kidding me that trio, yeah. that's the best in the country. And and so maybe we'll see that later on in the year, but I, I think he could make a difference in this game because now you start to get into Alabama when they go rabbit or when they go dime, yep. they go smaller and faster. You can then run the ball. You can run the ball. You can run the ball, and Tennessee spreads you out as it is. You see yep. the way they line up outside the numbers. They stressed LSU big time, opens the middle of the field. But then also you like your – three versus five or six DB matchups that you right. can now dictate. Right. Uh, it, it would be a nice advantage for Tennessee. And Alabama has been a little bit inconsistent Correct. in the secondary. Look, they right. got fours and five stars. No doubt. That kind of talent is back there. It doesn't mean they can't be beat because they have. And I think Tennessee would have success against Bama secondary with or without Tillman, but even more if he was to find his form pre-injury. I think a huge underlying matchup in this game is going to be how much time does Tennessee spend preparing for Milrow versus preparing for young because two separate kind of guys young's not going to be running much with that shoulder and if he plays yeah. he ain't going to be running much whereas Milrow 
He's going to be a it's going to be a lead lead run kind of guy, Lamar Jackson kind of guy, not not nearly the thrower, but athletic quarterback that can run. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because I with what Alabama, what Tennessee did against LSU, they were much better against a mobile quarterback. I mean, there are some of the players and yep. people we talked to, analysts that thought Daniels may be even tougher to tackle than Richardson. Richardson, more straight line guy, yep. uh, where Daniels can be more slippery, can get to the perimeter, and a better thrower. Uh, that really didn't materialize in that game. Tennessee did a better job in not only stunning, but clogging up the middle. Yep. And when they'd rush off the edge, they weren't running past Daniels. They they had it. They had held down the edge, and they had some discipline with their pass rush. So if that sustains, then I think you feel better about if you have to face Milrow because, to me, the passing game is one hand behind their back yes. if it's Milrow. I agree. Um, as much as Daniels was, if not more. I To me, if, if I knew that Milrow was a starting quarterback in that game, I'm picking Tennessee. Uh, little, I haven't made my pick yet. That'll be later in the year, later in the week. Yep. It, it's more up up in the air right now with Bryce Young because it's one thing to get Bryce Young back, but then how, like you mentioned, how effective is he? Is he now not going to escape the pocket like he's so good at, yes. be, or he, will he throw it away instead? So that can really change things for Tennessee and help them. But man, the way they got after the passer and and more discipline in their rush lanes. I think they would be good with Milrow, but you're right. It's different there based on Josh Heupel, the way he answered the question of Bryce young today. I'm even though he didn't say we're preparing for Bryce young. I think, I think they're preparing for Bryce young with still a package for Milrow. And the good thing is, is you played some of those run heavy quarterbacks the last couple of games. Right. So I, I think from a, from a, a, a defensive uh, philosophy and fundamental standpoint, they won't have to change too much. It's more Bryce Young that you have to be aware and have made different keys than you will against those true running quarterbacks. And the key to the game to me is going to be Jameer Gibbs. You're good there. I think Alabama is going to feed him one way or the other passing game, running game. He's their best offensive player, in my opinion, outside of Bryce Young. But I mean, yeah. to me, that's a huge matchup for if that Tennessee defense. Well, Tennessee's done a much better job. Their defensive numbers overall aren't glorious, but their run defense has been pretty good. Yep. I want to say it's now seventh in the country. Right, okay. Some, something like that. They're the past, past defense numbers bring the whole defensive numbers down. But they've done a pretty good job. I can't remember since – I think the last time we saw a big run against Tennessee was a Banacanda from Pitt who just you know ran right. for like – 300 yards and breaking Tony Dorsett's record at Pitt last week. Uh, they've been ever since he broke off a long run against Tennessee, they've been really good against the run. So their D line, besides rushing the passer, they've been pretty good. Amari Thomas in the middle of defensive tackle. Uh, he, he's having a outstanding year. And, um, and there's a lot of those linebackers filling holes. Uh, it, it, it's a, it's a defense with some ability, their numbers, don't look good because when they've looked bad, like Florida, they look really bad and on their heels. But they they have the ability to shut teams down. And you're right. You can't let Gibbs go off on you because Gibbs can kind of erase some issues yeah. or limitations you may have in the past game if you let him bust loose on you. 
right. Uh, for the Tennessee offense, to me, the key to the game is with the spread out offense that they do, that you got you know, the hypo runs, you can't let Will Anderson wreck the game. You know, you got to figure out a way to, again, you, you know better than the, as far as offensive line goes for Tennessee. Give me a, a perspective of what you think their plan of attack will be for Will Anderson. Well, first off, they didn't have their starting left tackle in that game either. And Gerald Mincy, right? We asked Heupel why he missed the game, and he said he was just out. But <laughs> thanks a lot. But he he said he expects him to be available this week. Here's the thing: he was in a battle with JJ Crawford going into the year. Yep. And really seized that position. And Tennessee had been playing with the same five in the offensive line in all meaningful snaps this year, which was a plus. So Crawford got the start for Mincy, and he played terrific. And Dane Davis, who is the, the backup tackle, he came in in some drives, and he did a nice job also. So that's really encouraging. They had two backups at the left yeah. tackle, and both of them handle their own plenty well in that game. They're able to run the ball and open up holes for Jabari Small, ran for over 100 yards. And for the most part, they kept Hendon Hooker clean. He he was hit sort of front side, but that was because their freshman running back, Dylan Sampson, didn't slide over to pick up a blitz. So I I think – Will Anderson's a different beast. No no question. He is by far the best defensive lineman and maybe defensive player that they've – face this year or maybe will face this right. year i actually asked hendon hooker Mon- in monday's press conference about knowing where will anderson is and his reaction was oh yeah yeah well, that's for sure we gotta know where he's at right and, and hooker's smart he knows where guys are at and um and he'll he knows how to diagnose it and i think his running ability this is a game where they're gonna run the will anderson side and force him to decide whether he wants to crash in mm-hmm. or whether Hooker is going to go by him in hopes that maybe that slows down his pass rush in other passing situations. Or maybe maybe they pop a pass past him too, something to try to slow him down. Also, the spreading of the field width-wise, I think, can maybe help in that regard also if you can get – him now chasing a little bit more on the outside right. and uh, and having to cover more space. But absolutely, he can wreck the game if you don't have a good bead for him. He'll make some plays, there's no doubt about it, but you can't let him wreck you and uh, and give you a seven or a short field the other way. And, and again, you're going to see Saban break out some blitz packages that he ha- probably hasn't shown this right. year, probably saving it for this game. And, and again, that spreading out of the formations – helps hooker identify the coverages better exactly. where the blitz is coming from who's coming who's not coming so i think that'll be an interesting x's and o's chess match between hook or between hypel and saban of where that stuff's coming from so how do you see the game going do you see high scoring let's assume bryce young plays do you see this being a game in the 30s is that where tennessee wants this game yeah, uh well i mean i i think they like it. I think they would be they would be able to they would feel good if it's a close game late, low scoring or not. But here's yeah. a stat that I heard under that Josh Heupel has not won a game as a head coach when they've scored less than 30 points. Uh oh. So lower scoring games, they haven't been able to break through. Right. In that regards. Now I don't I don't know what the exact total number of games that is. Probably not a ton. 
definitely hadn't been a lot of them at Tennessee, but so it, I do expect a high scoring game and there's just too many offensive weapons, NFL talent, offensive weapons, the tempo as well. Uh, So both teams have shown some susceptibility on defense and I do expect a high scoring game. I mean, this could, this could even get into the forties right on both sides. I, I think it's going to be wild. And especially if Bryce Young plays, especially yeah. if Bryce Young plays. Absolutely. Now the, here's the thing about Tennessee too, that I don't know how many people are talking about. We talk about tempo, tempo, tempo. They snap the ball every about 20 seconds from the previous play. Tennessee has been much better when they've slowed their tempo down. From time to time, if it's an important third down or situation, Hooker will back off. They'll quickly get to the line, but he'll back off. They'll yep. make sure they have everything correct and they're and they're on the same page. And they've been they've slowed it down when they need it, and they've been better in those situations. So they can just run, tighten you up with formation and run up the middle. Yep. They can slow it down on you. This year's team, because Hooker has such command of the game and poise and intelligence. They have different ways to respond. They're not just a one-dimensional go, 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 and then if things don't go well, they don't know what to do. That's another sort of elevated aspect of this team that maybe doesn't get talked about a lot and will lead to, I think, even more offensive success against Alabama and probably everybody else. All right, last question. I'll get you out of here. How do you think, again, this is probably the biggest game in Knoxville in a long time when both teams are, when when everybody truly believes Tennessee can beat Alabama legitimately, can match up with them. How do you think the week of the the hype, do you think that will affect Tennessee much at all with their roster? Or do you think they're made for this moment, they're ready to go, pull pull the stunner and show the SEC that Tennessee is truly back? I don't think it'll impact them. Florida week was big. It was a proving ground for them. College game day was here Mm -hmm. and they didn't look impacted at all. You know, the LSU game. Now you're, you're, people are talking about you more coming off of Florida in the open week. They handled that with great maturity. When they played bad teams, they blow them out. They don't overlook them. This team time and time again has shown that they handle things one week at a time i'm not a fan of the i want to go one and oh this week right but honestly that's kind of the way they view it like you can start dreaming about college football playoff and all that other stuff but if you as a player don't take care of your own business none of that stuff matters now for the fans it's completely different (laughs) and and this week is unrealistic as fans can be at times jason i am not a part of the hold your horses police I'm not telling fans, whoa, it's Alabama. I don't think so. This is the best chance Tennessee has to beat this team in their 15-game losing streak. They're one of the best teams in the country. They have the number one offense, and they've shown that they don't really have those letdown games. I think you know Alabama isn't perfect. I don't think anybody in college football is as talented as they are. So – uh, this is a game Tennessee can win, and I'm not poo-pooing that for fans this week. If they want to think win or two touchdowns yeah. or what, you just win the game right. with what they could potentially get considering they haven't won a national title since 98 and they've had a whole lot of disappointment mm-hmm. and and drama and turmoil with the program. Turmoil. Absolutely. Enjoy this week, and they will. And then if you get that done, then – 
everything is on the table that has seemingly been unreachable (laughs) during these tough times, a lot of which I've been here to cover, by the way. So a lot of us deserve some fun weeks like this, too. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm encouraging them, whatever you want to do, whether you yeah. think this is Tennessee is close, but not quite there. Or if you want to feel great about it, they got a shot in this game and I'm not throwing Dawson any water on top of that. Oh, by the way, it'll be an absolutely insane atmosphere. Yes. College game day. I wondered this college game day uh, coming back, not only in, in twice in a month to Knoxville, but back to back home games. Right. So I thought, man, that doesn't happen very long. Last time it happened, Georgia last year. <laughs> but no, you're right. I mean, CBS, two, I mean, 3.30 Eastern. Right. I mean, it's the primetime number one game this week, biggest matchup yeah. in the country, and you're going to be there covering it. Doing, You're doing – I know you do po- pregame and postgame for the yeah. ball network. You'll be on the sidelines. You'll be covering it from head to toe. So definitely tell everybody where they can find your work on uh, 99.1. Yeah, thanks, Jason. Vince Sports on Twitter and then our website, 991thesportsanimal.com. Those of you watching the video, you can see the web address there on the screen. And then you're right, we'll have videos of uh, on the field wrap up afterwards, pregame player interview that I do for the Vol Network and a role in the pregame show. And, and then all kinds of reaction afterwards, all the postgame, all of that, 991thesportsanimal.com. Dot com And then on our socials, YouTube channel at Vent Sports, you can find me there. And then our website, it's our, our station socials, it's Sports Animal 991. So give us a follow and get all that content, man. It'll be just ridiculous. Uh, and I uh, can't wait for it. It'll be fun. And look, there's a lot of good games around yeah. the country, too. They could have gone Penn State, Michigan, TCU, Oklahoma State. So they recognize... 10,000 fans, according to the UT Chancellor, ESPN said they thought was here for the Florida game for college game day. And that is insane. Yes. And that's a big reason why they're coming back because the fans showed out so well last time. So I can tell you this, be be out of the way of the, of the goalposts because I got a feeling they're coming down if they win the game. <laughs> so stay out of the way. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, obviously it would be the hefty fine. They make, they find you these days, but I think Tennessee will pay it for sure. And, and people are scheming it and all that kind of fun stuff. But uh, I, I I wonder if, if UT is going to take extra measures to prevent that, or if they're going to want that scene. Uh, We'll see. People thought, Oh, they're doing it for Florida. I'm like, no, they're not. I there's a chance against Alabama if they pull that upset. All right, Vince. Great work, man. Thanks for the time. Again, follow Vince. He does play by play the high school game of the week up in the Knoxville area every Friday night with Jay Graham, the former Tennessee great running back. I know he does a great work there. Vince covers all. He's the play by play guy for the, for the baseball team. I even saw Tony Vitello last time on game day. Yeah. Who who are they going to get? Who's going to be the Tennessee coach? Are they going to have Rick Barnes this week? (laughs) I mean, they might, but maybe not in that segment. Maybe they can have him for you had one job. But obviously everyone points to Peyton, but usually his schedule, I don't know that he's available. Dolly Parton, I think, would be awesome. That would be cool. National name you're looking for. I loved Bianca Belair from the WWE because I watch wrestling, but that not everyone does. Dolly would be awesome. There's country music artists, so they'll, they'll find someone like that, I guess. All right. 
Enjoy it, Vince. We'll definitely right. check in later in the season. Hopefully, if they can, if they win this game, then it's all the hype to Georgia. Then it's all the hype to to, the, to going to Georgia. Just to think that if Tennessee wins the, this game, it's a possibility for them to for us to even discuss a college football playoff. Yeah, it hasn't happened since I've been here. Right, and so that is just insane to think about. So yeah, then it would be uh, well, you still got Tennessee. Martin and Kentucky before Georgia. Come but on, yeah, come that's on where, that's come where on the now. talk is going to go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, buddy. Have a great week and enjoy the game. All right, you're the man. Hit me up anytime. Thanks, Jason. We'll be back on the Powers on Sports podcast in just a minute. Are you ready to profit this NFL and college football season? Do you need picks to profit with your sports gambling outlet? Reach out to Picks to Profit at 813-542-7559. One flat monthly fee of $100, no more, no less. You will receive six picks every week of the college football and NFL season. Point spreads, totals, prop plays, teasers, maybe even a parlay. You'll get all six picks emailed and texted straight to your mobile device on game day. Let us do the work while you profit. Picks to profit, 813-542-7559. Thanks again for listening to the Powers on Sports podcast. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review on whatever podcast platform you are hearing us tonight. Remember, you can reach out to us on Twitter at JPOSports. So we'd love to hear your feedback, comments, suggestions for future episodes. And again, thanks for all the support. Remember to share the podcast with your friends and colleagues. And we'd love to see you back next time for the next episode of the Powers on Sports podcast. Have a great week.